Welcome to the Gospel Saves Podcast, a program that discusses all matters related to the Christian faith. Please visit thegospelsaves.me. You can also visit The Gospel Saves on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. I recently heard an insightful comment on a podcast that I listen to regularly. The participants were discussing the issue of identity, a hot topic in our day and age. Specifically, they were considering how Christians might offer a biblical answer to the issues surrounding identity. One of the participants observed, Augustine would have never known how to answer questions of identity. The topic would have bewildered him and confused him. And I rather suspect many of us feel the same way. Having grown up in a different time, we may well have never considered how to answer the question, who am I? But in a day and age when people define themselves according to their sexual preference, their gender identity, or their choice of pronouns, or any number of other possibilities, it's important for us as Christians to have an answer prepared. So to offer a Christian definition of personal identity, let me talk about the two sides of the issue. We'll do a quick crash course on postmodern philosophy to examine the roots of the present interest in personal identity. Then we'll contrast the postmodern view of identity with the Bible's definition of personal identity. But before I get into all that, please help me out. If you're watching this video on YouTube, please hit the subscribe and that little bell icon to receive updates when I upload new content. If you're listening on the Gospel Saves podcast on Apple or Spotify, please consider giving me a five-star rating and writing a review. I want the gospel of Jesus Christ to reach as many people as possible. When you subscribe, follow, rate, review, comment, or give a thumbs up, you're helping those big tech algorithms notice my content. So please help me preach the good news of Jesus to as many people as possible by doing one of those simple things. I can't do this without your help, so thanks for the assist. All right, let's get back to the Christian answer to questions of identity. As I jump into this, I want to acknowledge that much of what I say in this first section about postmodernism comes from the book by Helen Pluckrose and James Lindsay, Cynical Theories. It's a tough read, but it's an excellent exploration of how postmodernism emerged as the dominant force in the 21st century. The evolving views of personal identity are rooted in what's known as postmodernism philosophy. In the 1950s, European philosophers and some American philosophers began grappling with what the world experienced in World War II. What emerged was the philosophy we call postmodernism, a critique of Western civilization. There were several influential thinkers, but there was a group of French philosophers who impacted postmodern philosophy more than others, Foucault, Derrida, and Lacan. Their writings are, for the most part, quite difficult to read, and their philosophy was impossible to live by. Because it was so inaccessible and tended toward nihilism, postmodern philosophy seemed to die away by the late 1970s and early 1980s. 
but it was given new life by feminist and black intellectuals in the early 1990s. Women's studies and black studies programs in universities began adopting certain tenets of postmodern philosophy. It began to creep into other disciplines like sociology and psychology and education. Eventually, it led to the creation of other studies in American universities, such as queer studies, gender studies, and I could go on. By the 2010s, postmodern philosophy was the prevailing ideology undergirding much of the university experience in America. What all of these disciplines managed to do was adapt tenets of an unintelligible philosophy into simple but powerful and persuasive axioms. First of all, postmodernists are skeptical that truth with a capital T is either knowable or attainable. And the second is like it. Since the truth cannot be known, power and hierarchies coalesced in societies to determine what can be known and how it is known. Simply put, there is no truth. The truth is defined by the powerful in order to serve their own ends. These two principles lead to four important themes retained from the philosophies of the aforementioned postmodernists. These themes form the foundation for the current explosion of identity issues. All boundaries are blurred. Categories like male and female are distinctions made up by the powerful to marginalize and oppress women, gays, transgender, and other minority groups. They also believe language is a part of the power structure, that language is a tool used by the powerful to describe reality in order to acquire and maintain power. So if you change the language, you can shift the balance of power in favor of the marginalized. They also believe all cultures are the same. No one culture is superior to another. Those of us in the Western world have risen to prominence not because our culture is superior to others, but because we have used the tools of the oppressor better than our rivals. And finally, they believe that the concerns of the individual are of less value to society than the concerns of marginalized groups who have been oppressed and taken advantage of in Western culture's rise to the top. So our society's obsession with identity issues flow out of this postmodern philosophy, specifically the skepticism of truth, the reduction of everything to games of power, the blurring of categories, the reordering of language, the denigration of Western culture and values, and the elevation of group identities over the rights and concerns of the individual. Now let's take a moment to contrast the postmodern view with the Bible's definition of identity. And the Bible's definition of identity begins with, we are all created in the image of God. This begins clear back in Genesis chapter 1, where the Bible reveals that there are two genders, but one identity. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. I realize that some folks may object to this. They may say the Bible is talking about biological sex and not gender. But to be clear, the Bible does not draw any distinction between biological sex and one's gender. Male and female, man and woman, are reflections of biological realities according to the Bible. 
From the Bible's vantage point, how you feel about your gender is irrelevant. So if you feel like you're a different gender than the body you were born into, your feelings are real, but they are not reality from a biblical point of view. The other thing we notice in that passage from Genesis is we are all created in the image of God. And because we are all created in the image of God, this leads to two very important realizations. We are of equal value in His eyes. When Jesus said, for God so loved the world, He meant God loves every man and woman, child of every skin color, sexual orientation, gender identity, and any other category we can come up with. He loves us all equally. And we can all call ourselves the children of God. Paul says to the Athenians, we are the offspring of God in Acts chapter 17, verse 29. And as Christians, how we treat our fellow human beings should be guided by these fundamental truths. In James chapter 3, the brother of Jesus talks about the dangers of the tongue. He notes in verse number 9 that if we're not careful, we can bless God and curse man from the same mouth. James reminds us our fellow human beings have been made in the similitude of God, or another way of putting that is in the image of God. So according to the Bible, who am I? Well, I'm created in the image of God. I am of great value to Him, and I am His child by virtue of my humanity. Another thing the Bible tells us about our identity is we are born innocent, but we become corrupted by sin. While I believe we are born into a world subject to the consequences of Adam's sin, I do not believe we inherit the guilt of Adam's sin. Solomon says in the book of Ecclesiastes, Truly, this only I have found, that God made man upright, but they have sought out many schemes. Chapter 7, verse 29. We are born innocent. But unfortunately, because we live in a world ruled by sin and death, we become corrupted. Isaiah expresses it well. But we are all like an unclean thing, and all our righteousnesses are like filthy rags. We all fade as a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. Isaiah 64, verse 6. This realization of our unworthiness and imperfection is why when Jesus miraculously helped Peter, James, and John catch a boatload of fish, Peter begged Jesus, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. God be merciful to me, a sinner, the tax collector exclaimed in the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. So though I'm created in the image of God because of my choices, my failures, and my shortcomings, I fall short of the glory of God. I am a sinner in need of redemption, and that's part of my identity. And the final component of our identity as a Christian is, in Jesus Christ, God makes us a part of His family. In Galatians chapter 3, verses 26 through 28, Paul says, For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. In Christ, all distinctions we use to segregate ourselves from one another are eliminated. All of us, regardless of gender, race, nationality, or socioeconomic class, receive the same inheritance in Jesus Christ. We're all sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. 
And we are made one, made one in Christ when we are baptized into Christ. In baptism, we are clothed with Christ and we are united into a single body. But baptism without faith in Jesus is just a bath, and it's by faith that we become a part of God's family. So how does the Bible define my identity as a Christian? Who am I from a biblical worldview? Well, I am created in the image of God, but I'm also a sinner saved by the grace of God. And thanks be to God because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, I am a child of God. Thanks for listening to the Gospel Saves podcast. If you found this program useful, please visit thegospelsaves.me to find blogs, videos, and Bible studies. If you enjoyed the music on this podcast, please visit acapeldridge.com. You can also find Acapeldridge on Apple Music, Google Play, Spotify, YouTube, and Facebook. May God bless you as you seek to know His perfect will.